Hello there, a bit Spursy listener. It's me, Barney. And me, Dan. And we are here to tell you some fantastic news. We have started a free Discord to which you can go on and chat all things Tottenham Hotspur and other related concepts. <laughs> yeah, to join that, uh, head to discord.gg slash a bit Spursy. That's correct. We also now have a Patreon to which you can pay for Spurs-related content. <laughs> and, it sounds uh, like a scam. It's not a scam here. It's, it's not a scam. We're not scamming. We're not scamming. It's, uh, look, we, we love, uh, you know, creating this podcast and there's a whole bunch of other things that we want to do with some streams, uh, some watch-alongs and, and these sort of bits and pieces. If you would like to help us out and support us there, we'd really appreciate it. We'll be able to create more Spurs, Spurs content and uh, sort of have fun doing that. So if you'd like to do that, uh, please head to patreon.com slash a bit Uh The more of you that are on the Patreon, the less time I have to spend in the coal mine, which is my job. <laughs> so let's get Barney out of the coal mine. And uh, yeah, all links can be found uh, on our website at abitspursy.com. With Antonio, we work uh, together uh, a long time. We achieve big results. Hello and welcome to the second A Bit Spursy for a week. That's right, it's a two-episode week, our first two-episode week. I'm Barney. I'm Dan. And we have a very, very special guest. Uh, we have our wonderful new friend. Are we allowed to say that, Nima? <laughs> yes, yes, you are. After, after what we did, we went through before the start to record, I think we can say that. That's pretty much yeah, you know, you guys therapized me after I was talking about scared of everything I am in Australia. That's creepy crawly. Yeah, so, um, you guys put my ears to to, to fears to rest a little bit. To be honest, Nim, you don't know that I'm actually quite close to um, being fully qualified as a psychologist here in Australia. So I will be charging you for that in that, well, that time. Good. So great, put it yeah. in, put it in the mail. Yeah, <laughs> the mail. Put it in the mail. Um, no, but it's really really great to have you on. Um, both of us were such a huge, huge fan of your uh, appearance you. on the extra inch. We just thank you. Uh, we're so keen to have you on, and and we're so pleased to have you. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed that. Those guys are lovely. Um, it was so nice to be with them, and and especially the Antonio Conte thing. And because Antonio Conte is obviously a character who I've studied quite a bit, and followed quite a bit, and written extensively about, and, and covered. And um, I, um, it's it's really interesting how it's gone at Spurs, and I think it's gone it's gone pretty much how I expected it to go. Uh, and I and I and when he took over, I thought, well, there's no doubt they're finishing top four now. Um, but and, and after this window, I without a doubt think that you will finish top four. We hope so. <laughs> this is great. This <laughs> yeah, is a, yeah, thank you. This is a really positive start. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I love this because. Yeah, um, I'm not sure, uh, Nima, how familiar you are with Spurs fans in general, but there are quite a lot of cynical ones out there. And there are sort of a lot of complaints about uh, Daniel Levy, the spending of the club in the, you know, the last 10, 20 years and, and all that sort of stuff. So it seems like uh, to a lot of Spurs fans, n any decision that's made is never the right one. Um, so it's always <laughs> like we go in for Kulisevsky and Bentenker and then the reaction is, oh, we've bought the rejects from Juventus and they're not good yeah. enough to play. And it's yeah. just there's so much kind of like negativity and pessimism because I think there's so much desperation for some sort of yeah. success from Spurs fans. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, 
if you are, I mean, you, you're a club who, and a fan base who, who sees itself where it should be and where it is and has been is not where the, where, you know, there's a, there's a disconnect between where you guys will think you should be and where you have been. And also because you're Spurs fans. And is, is, if there's one thing that Spurs and Inter Milan, Inter fans have in common, it's that we're, we're used to doing insane, stupid things. Like it's part of the club's DNA. Like the, when it's impossible to lose, Spurs and Inter find a way to lose. Mm. When it's impossible to win, Spurs and Inter find a way to win. Like it's, I mean, Inter's nickname is Pazza Inter, Crazy Inter, and that, that's, <laughs> you know, that that's that's what it is. And so I think that I, I I think there's a lot of like between these two sets of fans and and identities, club identities. I think there's a lot in common. You can, you can draw a lot of parallels between that. Um, and I understand that you guys are not happy because they're not big, sexy names um, like Man City and Liverpool maybe sign or Chelsea sign on PSG sign, but they don't really operate. They operate in a vacuum of their own. They do whatever they want, um, especially City and PSG. I mean, I think with Chelsea, at least you, they sell players and they actually have a very interesting system of, of being able to find and spot talents, which they loan out to other clubs. And when they improve, they cash in on that. So their finances actually make sense. While City and PSG are just, you know, it's it's just inflated. It's just, it's uh, it's it's hardly sustainable. Even though they, you know, even UEFA pretends to have a financial fair play in place, <laughs> we know that's not in place. I mean, Levy and and what the Kronke or what, what Arsenal do, even and and these clubs, there there is sustainability in those clubs. I mean, Wenger, I remember, was so annoyed. He was like, "I'm we're we're doing everything by the rules here, but we can't compete with anyone else because they they just don't follow the rules." And they, there's no repercussions for it. And I think that that's a little bit where, where I think we're, we're, I mean, I understand that Levy doesn't want to risk the club's finances. Um, and, and I think that's the responsible thing to do. I mean, the most important thing he did, which I don't think should be underestimated, was that new stadium. It's absolutely fantastic. Mm. And that, that guarantees you revenue, revenues at a level that you've not been near before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, bringing these NFL games, these double—I mean, he's competing with Wembley for crying out loud for 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 events and succeeding and getting them, yeah, which is incredibly impressive. Um, so I think that's something that long term is going to do you well and provide you with a platform. Now, now that's the financial side, and also from what I saw, they've sacked about eight people uh, in PR and and um, and finances and, and and revenue side of things because uh, they're not happy. Because and they shouldn't be happy. I got an email from a, a press release for, as all, uh, I'm on this like mailing list that journalists are, where they spoke about how Spurs and the top six teams don't make as much money per chair as the others do, and there's a and that you know and, and that there's a reason for that. You know they're not doing their jobs properly, and and that makes sense now that he fired eight people uh, in that department because you know you have to make plus and minus meet. You know it's as simple as that. Um, and 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 I think so. So that that's that side of it. But then you have the the players you've spent on, and I think this is the first window. I mean, Romero last window was a fantastic signing, and, and I think this is these two signings will be good as well, especially Kulusevski, which I'm sure we'll get into. Mm. But before that, you've made some signings that has me wondering why, <laughs> what. Like, you know, and I think that's where the frustration, and I'm not even a Spurs fan, you guys are, 
So I think that's where the frustration comes from. There's a distrust when people don't do the job properly for a long time. You erode that trust. And so when they do something, you know, that's not a big, big, sexy name, then you're like, well, I don't trust, you know, it, it comes down to trust. You don't trust their judgment. And you're right not to, given what's happened in the past. I think, you know, boy who cried wolf is is, is life lesson <laughs> in all aspects of life, isn't it? If, if people fail you time and time again, you're, you're bound to not trust them, regardless of the what, what, what we're talking about here. So, but I think Paratici, you know, he... He failed at Juventus miserably. He's probably the worst sporting director they ever had. But no, but seriously, he really did. He he it's it's hard to fail at Juve. And he he did. It's almost impossible to fail at Juventus, and he did. But having said that, the guy does know does know how to be a good sporting director. Um, he does know. And I think he's full of filled with this sense of revenge that he wants to prove himself after the disaster at Juve, which is now being litigated and investigated. I mean, Juventus had SWAT teams coming in and raid their offices because of the financial mismanagement that happened under Paratici. Um, I think that, you know, now he's filled with revenge to say, you know, to kind of show that, no, actually, I can do it on my own and I am good at my job and and I think that with Levy there the, the nothing what happened to Juve won't happen he won't have the power to do that Levy will not in any shape size or form risk the finances of the club so I think you're you're, you're kind of safeguarded to that that then it leads to the sporting project which which where I think he's actually okay and that's okay you've got Antonio Conte that's a ideologue you have an ideologue coach with a very specific system and he wants roles filled in that system and then Paratici simply has to find players that suit that role. And, and that's where we are now. And I think Kulusevsky in particular is ideal to play for Antonio Conte. Mm, that's fascinating. Um, I'd love to know before we dive into the new signings of the signings that we've made previously that you uh, <laughs> said were, I mean, we both have been clear on this podcast before about what we think about how those signings have turned out. But I, I would love to know, for you, what what other uh, what signings that you referenced earlier? I mean, I, I it's 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 just you went from you know Pochettino left the you know he, he got sacked and then you bring in Mourinho and then you bring in you know it's I'm looking at it and it's just it's just it feels like the whole thing has been um, it's been a mishmash and there's no clear coherent line therefore the the trans the signings you've made like Matt Doherty, why? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, I feel like we need that sense. sound that sound bite just to play on repeat. <laughs> yeah. Matt Doherty, why? <laughs> just... No, but do you know what I mean? It makes no sense to me. And and Definitely. I mean, Mourinho got wasn't it Mourinho who bought Bergvine and Hoiberg? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I mean that you know Mourinho and Conte they play completely different styles of football and and Mourinho and Pochettino not even the same thing do you know what I mean it's like you're wasting money you're throwing excuse me shit at a wall and see what sticks there's no coherent line as to what you want to do and and that's why it just makes no sense because now Antonio Conte's inherited a squad that was kind of built for Pochettino and kind of built for Mourinho and it's like hmm but having said that, I still think that um, 
I, I was wrong. I, I, I thought that the wing backs would work. Maybe not be fantastic, but they would work. They've been dreadful. I mean, Emerson Real has been an absolute disaster. Mm. Um, and that's something that I think you'll look at in the summer. I think wing backs and and defend as and a central defender to go with uh, Romero. I think Romero's a brilliant signing. That's a brilliant signing to play in a back three, especially as he has played in a back three at Atalanta and Genoa. And and, and I, th- I I consider him. I think you know. I think when he's fit and and performing in form, he's probably in my book one of the best, if not the best, central defender in the world. I really rate him that highly. He was outstanding for Atalanta. He pocketed pretty much every single striker in the Serie A when uh, when he that last season at Atalanta. And I mean pocketed. Um, they were invisible. Ibrahimovic was invisible. Lukaku, who was on fire, was invisible. Uh, Vlaovic was invisible. I mean, he just did it time and time again. And it was so, so impressive to see. Because the thing that he does is he's very aggressive, but he's not, he doesn't go over the line. So he doesn't get that many red cards and yellow yellow cards anymore because he's learned where the line goes. So he just plays just below that, which Giorgio Chiellini was a master at or is a master at Juventus, knowing exactly where the line goes and not crossing it just precisely under that and not getting yourself sent off. Something Romero struggled with early on in his career. But he's learned that now. And I think if, we're, if, you're, if they just allow him to be fit and recover fully fit, you've got a world beater there. Um, I think Dejan Kulusevski has, in terms of characteristics and traits, he has everything that Antonio Conte wants from a midfielder. He's he never stops running. He never stops running. He, his distance covered per game and distance covered totally in 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 terms of kilometers was him and Barella and Brozovic were in a league of their own in the Serie A. Um, he he's he's predominantly left-footed, but he's pretty much ambidextrous. Mm. Um, he's very, he's, he's a team player. He lives and dies for football. That's, that's all he is. I mean, he, you know, his girlfriend is a Bosnian national team football player. Mm. Um, his, he used to, he grew up playing with his sister on the pitch day and night. I mean, this is, this is a football guy through and through. Um, he lives for that sport. He wants to improve. He, you know, he's a very simple person in that term. He's not a very complicated character. He's not difficult to manage, as long as you're honest with him and, and direct. And I, and I think Conte is. He's a, if any, or I know that Conte is. So I don't think see any com- communication problems there. Uh, and also the fact that Kulusevski, since the age of fifteen and a half, has been has received all his training, football training in Italy. Uh, and in Italian, which he speaks really, really well. Um, if you ask me, he speaks Italian better than he speaks Swedish, um, which is his native tongue. Um, and it's so he'll communicate with Conte in Italian, and that's and they under, they will understand each other. So, so I think that everything is there is kind of laid there for them to 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 get this going. Um, and I think he will play in a three-five-two. I, I don't like this number thing because everyone is so obsessed with the formation and numbers. And Antonio Conte, he he shifts in games between a three-five-two without position to a four-two-four. He did that at Inter time and time again. Sometimes it's a three-four-two-one. Sometimes it's a three-four-three. You know, it, it changes. Mm-hmm. For him, it's important. He wants to play his calcio verticale, his vertical football. That's that's the ideology. That's the tactics. And then depending on the game, he will adapt the formation to that. But the but the style and the formation and the ideology is, is always the same. 
it's calcio verticale and how you play that well that depends on the game and the opponent and whatever so but i don't see him playing as a wing back i'd be very very surprised if he played as a wing back that's just not his role um i i think as a number as as a kind of a number 10 in a 352 or a inverted winger if you will in a 3421 or even a winger in a 343 sometimes but mainly i think centrally will will be where he starts i think what conte wants him to do is to transport the ball from midfield and link up with the, with the, with the, with the attackers i think the first long ball coming from deep to harry kane and who you know wins that and then plays off of um son who plays it out to Kulusevski, who then, like, similarly to what Inter did with Lukaku winning the ball high up, playing off of Lautaro, who passed it out to Hakimi or Perisic, and then they, you know, sawed their way through. That's his calcio verticale. Um, and, and, it can, and it can occur all over the pitch, from left to right, right to left, centrally to the right, centrally to the left. So it's, 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 it, it is, it's a very interesting... I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing him play. I really, really am. And, and I'm so happy to see him finally join Conte because I was so annoyed when he was linked to Inter. And, or actually, Inter wanted to buy him. And Kulusevski spoke to both Conte and Sarri, who was then at Juve. And Sarri is a much more simpler person in his communication. And he just said, I play 4-3-3. You know how I play. I want you to play in that position. Whilst Antonio Conte plays a much more complex football and confused a 19-year-old. Um, and kind of scared him. And he went to Juve. Inter ended up signing Christian Eriksen. And although that kind of ended up well, that was a mistake. Uh, Eriksen would have done better had he gone to Juventus playing for Sarri. And I think Kulusevski would still be in Italy playing at Inter and would have been much more successful had he played with Brozovic and Barella for Conte in, in his 3-5-2. So, you know, now he's being united with Conte. Uh, and he's also he's also full of revenge because the last two years have not gone the way he wanted them to. And I some of it is his fault, I guess, because you know he's responsible for his performances. But at the end of the day, 19 years old signing for for Juve to play in Maurizio Sarri's 4-3-3 ends up playing as a wing back or whatever the hell that was mm-hmm. under Andrea Pirlo, who's barely a coach. Uh, it was just good vibes, you know. <laughs> that, that was the tactics. It was just good vibes. Um, and then Max Allegri, who's the antithesis of that, mm. who's just, you know, disciplined, rigid, low blocks, defend, deep, win ball, can't counter-attack. And he, he just looked confused. And I think that his versatility, which he does have, was a little bit what kind of destroyed him a little bit at Juve in the sense that he's a young player and young players need continuity to grow and feel secure. Mm. He didn't have that at Juve. He was played in so many different positions. And he was also at a Juventus that were kind of trying to find back to their own identity after the failures of their, you know, wannabe Real Madrid Galactico era of Cristiano Ronaldo, mm. um, which failed. Um, so, you know, it was, it was just the wrong timing. But I think this is the right timing. And I think, and this is a shrewd signing because he's only 21. There is resale value and Levy sees that. Yeah. So, you know, if he if uh, there's a potential to, I mean, if he explodes in the Premier League, if he explodes now for the next eighteen months, how or for however long Conte's there, and 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 really 
becomes a, one of the best players in Spurs and Spurs continuously finish in the top four and actually start winning in titles and, you know, God, if that were to happen, then, well, he's a hundred, you could sell him for 80, 90, hundred million if you wanted to make your money back. You know, do you know what I mean? So there is, there is that aspect of it. Um, I think the same kind of applies to Rodrigo Bentancourt, who came as a super talent from Uruguay to Juventus. Um, also very versatile. And that was also a little bit what harmed him because they put him wherever they needed to, as opposed to letting him really grow. He was really good under Allegri's first tenure at Juve. But then again, it didn't really work out under Sarri. He couldn't really do what Sarri wanted him to do. And then Pirlo came and it was well, whatever, the, whatever, you know, that was what it was. And then when Allegri came back, he looked like he was struggling. But, I mean, if you watched, I love Uruguay. Uh, in uh, in South America, I don't, I can't say I support them, but they are my team in South America, quote unquote. Um, and th- he is, he's such an intelligent footballer. Um, he's got great technique. Um, he can retain possession. His passing success rate and completion is ninety percent always. He can, he can, he's he's a he's a he's a player who can retain possession of the ball. Um, and allows the team to some time and space to adapt in, because he can hold to the ball, hold on to the ball really well. Um, he's made a lot of mistakes uh, recently, the past two years, because he's looked very insecure. But if there's one thing we know about Conte is that his players, he rarely fails with a, with a, with a signing. Um, and he almost always gets players to overperform. Um, I mean, the, the, you know, he he failed with Alvaro Morata at Chelsea, but that was just a stupid signing by everyone involved because Lukaku should have gone to Chelsea and Morata should have gone to Mourinho at United. And instead they ended up harming each other for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> like, no, I don't understand why anyone, if the club did that signing, it's like you're taking each other's players to do what? What exactly are you think hoping to achieve here? Just, you know, it just ruined chances for everyone. Mm. And then we saw what Conte can do with, with Lukaku, you turn him into one of the best number nines in the world. Yeah, you know he's been. You know when Conte wants a player that is, and gets him, that's a very good sign. And he's wanted Kulusevski for a long time, and that is that can only be good because he's he's he is a tactical genius. Conte, he's infuriating. Um, he can drive you insane because he's. It's like he he makes life harder than it needs to be, um, all the time. And that can be really frustrating. Um, and and I've spoken to Spurs fans who say that yeah, you're you're absolutely right on the frustration part. He he, you're like, why are you making things diff more difficult than they need be? And in, in your in your choices, and that's just how he is. If he if he gets something in his head that he wants to impose, he he'll do it until he get, until he gets it right. Mm, that's it's just, it's just his nature. That's um, very much a sentiment I think we've both felt. In terms of, and uh, sort of to uh, preface the end uh, question of, of what I'm about to say is, uh, you, you mentioned that how Conte's Spurs have gone so far, it's exactly how you expected. We have had um, several uh, moments over Conte's period already where there have been decisions that you kind of go as a fan, oh, that's not what I expected for <laughs> him to do at all. Why is he playing Matt Doherty as a winger right now? Or, We're playing Chelsea and we have four fullbacks. Yeah, we have four <laughs> yeah. fullbacks on the pitch. Or um, we had a game against Liverpool that was the most successful we've had against them in several years. 
where he plays this Endombele, Delhi, and who was the other midfielder? I can't remember now. I can't remember. It was probably, it could have been Winks. Maybe it was I Winx. think it was Winks. Yeah, it was yeah. Winks. It worked in that, you know, I maybe can't comprehend how it worked specifically against <laughs> Liverpool. We never saw it again. Um, and then we saw fairly kind of turgid performances with a skip Hoybier midfield where the ball was moving sideways a lot. Um, and it, it is frustrating. It's frustrating. <laughs> like you, you kind of No, go, he is frustrated. Yeah. Like, you have to understand that every, all of these things that you're saying, everyone who's ever had Conte is standing on the sidelines <laughs> going, yep, I've been there. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. It's just, <laughs> he, that, that's just how he is. And I'm glad you mentioned the Liverpool game. I think twice this season, I've watched, of all the games I've watched in the Premier League, I've been lost for words by how impressed I've been. One of those games was your game against uh, Liverpool at home, where I still don't understand how you didn't win that game and how you didn't score seven goals because you missed seven sitters. Yeah. Um, and the, the other one was your worst rivals, Arsenal's first half against Man City, where they were outstanding. Yeah, weren't they good? Um, yeah, they were good there. And 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 the thing is, that's how how you played against Liverpool is exactly how Conte plays. That's Calcio Ertigale. And Deli Ali, that's why I said on the X-Range when I was on with those guys, this is a golden chance for him now um, to, re- to reignite his career at, at, at Spurs. And he didn't take it. I think that is a that was a crossroads moment for Conte, where for Endombele, for all of them, that, you know, and, and, and Deli Ali missed a few sitters, didn't he? Um, so, you know, it is. I think that was that's what kind of prompted him leaving, and then Dombele leaving, and him bringing Kulusevski in. Well, and I think with that as well, like further on to your point, Barney, is that we have seen so much apparent sort of chopping and changing so far from how Conte set up his teams, and both in terms of I guess the formations, but also just in terms of the personnel. Like we've had so many different players playing in different positions. Like we had a cup game where Delhi was playing up front in a two with Brian Hill. Um, there. And I was sort of wondering, like, you know, is this something that Conte does when he first takes over teams because he's really trying to test out players and mm. see if he can rely on them in different positions? Yeah. And then as time yeah. goes on, he starts really working out what his preferred 11 is and then he kind of sticks to them a little bit more. Yeah. Is that sort of what we can expect moving forward? No, yeah. That's that's what he, he likes to experiment um, to see what he can do. <clears throat> or what he's got to work with, so to so to so quote unquote. He likes to put the players and and test them in match positions to see what they can do and what he's got to work with, pretty much. And I think that's why he he did that with Deli Ali and he did that with Ndombele and he concluded that no, you know, it's not going to work. And so he, you know, they got shifted. And the same with Los Elso and and all these other players. Um, and 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 I think that's a good thing because he's very honest with the players. He he doesn't muck around. That's why they respect him. You know, he's not the same person who was, who sent childish text messages to Diego Costa that you're not welcome here anymore and then turned his phone up for two weeks. You know, that, that's not who he is anymore. He's actually be- he learned that you can't behave like that. Um, I know most normal people would know that before doing that, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but he, he's, he's, he's different. Um, you know the thin line between genius and insanity. Um, he's 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 learned that now, um, and he learned at Inter that it's best to just talk with the players. He, he told Mauro, Mauro Icardi, he told Rajana Ingolan, he was very honest with them. Diego Godin as well. He said, you know, I I I I don't think you can fit into. You know, I didn't see a role for you in my team. And players can accept that. That's not personal. That's professional. Mm. Um, 
and and he i i think he he kind of gave because he gave them an honest shot no deli ali can't say that he didn't get an honest shot at spurs that's just not true um neither can endombele they just can't say that that they didn't get a fair shot at spurs under conte he did he did everything he he gave them a chance they didn't take it and he decided that he wanted to move on which i think is well within his discretion to do as a, as a coach and a manager so <clears throat> we can disagree you know you can disagree whether that was the right or wrong thing to, to do but it's still one that you can't take away from the manager that's why he's paid to do that job you have to trust his his, his judgment there um but so the first time do... we're kind of backing that manager as well because when we yeah. since we signed in Dombele and La Celso we've kind of just changed managers <laughs> when it sort of hasn't worked we'll go all right we'll get rid of Poch now all right we'll go uh, Jose up oh. We're going to get rid of him. We're going to go Ryan Mason for a bit. Oh, now we're going to go Nuno. Oh, now we're going to go Conte. So a lot of Spurs fans talk about us like, you know, the club not backing Conte, but this seems mm-hmm. like we actually are because you are. we're, you we're are. shifting out that. these key players, you know, what were previously considered key players in the squad. And, you know, you said like we, that Conte has been after Kulisewski for a long time. Um, so it's like, it appears that this window, we actually really have made some significant changes to really start supporting him. Yeah, you have. I think that's a fair assessment. And I think finishing in the top four will just show why that was the right decision to do. And then you reach the summer. Um, and when you're in the summer, you have a decision to make because Harry Kane doesn't look like the player he was a few years ago, just a year ago. Um, he looks unhappy and, and unmotivated. Um, you have a Romelu Lukaku who's made an absolute mess of things at Chelsea. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not reporting anything here. I'm just saying my gut feeling tells me I know your clubs don't do business at all, but they're both the same age and both players would do better in tactically speaking. Lukaku at Con- under Conte and Harry Kane at Chelsea under Tuchel um, than Lukaku's doing. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't exclude that straight swap. They're also the same age. And I think that would be a straight swap where everyone's a winner. I really think so. Because he, Lukaku and Conte is, I mean, congrat, enjoy the show. That's all I can say. <laughs> Lukaku under Conte is, is a force of nature. Unstoppable. Because Conte's got this ability to, to light a fire under his belly as well. And he overperforms. He, he becomes almost obsessed um, and they all do. He's got this ability to not just tactically and technically advance them and, and make them better, but also they 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 burn like he he the players really really respect and and want to do well for him. And I mean that's something that I think Jose Mourinho. Why I think that his 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 glory days are over is that Jose's strength was his communication skills um, with the players. He was never a big player himself. Antonio Conte was the captain of Marcello Lippi's Juve, you know, with Zidane, with, with you know, with, with Del Piero, with all those champions. He was the captain of that side who won the Champions League and, and, and all the rest of it. You know what I mean? So mm. he knows what it takes. to. He's played with the best. He's played with the absolute best. He's played with Badger. He's played with all of them. Um, and he was, you know, he, he was one of those players, one of those starting players. And, and he, so he can relate to players as a player. As well, he knows mm. what they go through. He understands the life. Mourinho could never do that. Mourinho's strength was to win them over by 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 you know by his communication and intellectually winning them over. And I think there's a disconnect 
Uh, and he's learned, I think that that's why I think he's doing a little bit better or doing okay at Roma now, is that he's learned how to communicate with this younger generation. Mm. Um, I think it's a generation gap. He struggled with the Ibrahimovic's, the Zanetti's, the Drogba's. They liked him, the Terry's, the Lampard's. That generation, he got on with all of them. Mm. But the Pogba generation, he doesn't understand them and they don't understand him. At least that's been the case until now. Whereas now we see at, at Roma, well, Tammy Abraham speaks, really likes him. Um, he's winning these young players over. Uh, and so I think that's where, where his strength lies. With Conte, it's about football and the football he wants to play um, and, and the tactic. And, and the football players understand that it's a difficult football, but when it works, it is out. It's unbeatable. It's almost unplayable. You can't, because his teams are so difficult to stop because, you know, his, his midfield trio in a 3 5 2. What he did at Inter with Eriksen, Barella and Brozovic, he didn't have one player who just created and one player who defended and ran. He had all three of them doing everything a midfielder needs to do. They, they were good at create. All of them were good at creating. All of them ran. All of them had good shots on them. All of them had were, were, position, were great in position, in possession and positionally. Um, all of those things. That's what he wants because once you, when you marked, when someone, when teams tried to man mark Brozovic, well, then they give space to Christian Eriksen to dictate them at midfield or Barella. And it just, you know, so, so there was really nowhere to stop that. And that's what he wants to do. I mean, that's why he was so annoyed when they gave him Andrea Pirlo at Juve because Pirlo is the playmaker and, and he can't run. And he, you know, he was great at many things, a genius, but he was an old school midfielder. He couldn't do all the things at once. He couldn't tackle and defend and, you know, press and all that. And then he was annoyed at that. So instead, you know, he had Arturo Vidal run for him and Marquisio run for Pirlo as well, which is not what he likes to do. He wants all his midfielders to be able to do everything, a little bit of everything. They don't have to be equally as good in all traits, but they have to be able to do all things at a, at a somewhat decent level, because to make his team more unpredictable. Um, and it's and and that's what I think he's trying to do here at, at Spurs with Bentancur and Kulusevski because they because they can I mean they're very versatile the two, the two of them um, and I think you're lacking one one of the one player you didn't get which I'm surprised that you didn't get was uh, Sofyan Amrabat um, because he's a player who came up at, at Hellas Verona under Ivan Juric, who plays a 3-4-2-1, high-intensity, high-pressing, very similar to Conte in that sense, and whose ability to play that first long, high ball up the pitch was third in the Serie A in, for accuracy after Brozovic and uh, Fabian Ruiz of Napoli. So I was surprised you didn't get him. I really, I was really surprised at him because he was very gettable. Do you mean but clearly? Do you mean getting him in addition to Kulusevski and yeah, Bentancur? Yeah, 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 playing them together, the three of them. Um, I was surprised he didn't do that, but I mean, obviously they they have plans for the future and the summer that they don't want to they want to wait. And I understand that. They, I also understand that completely because I think the summer is going to be crazy, and I think a lot of teams are going to spend. Uh, there's a lot going to be happening, and you don't want to tie up too much capital in the January transfer window so that you can't spend in the summer. Um, and I think that's why Arsenal didn't sign anyone. I think that's why AC Milan didn't sign anyone. I think lots of clubs are waiting, you know, holding tight to see what happens, you know, so that they don't miss out on any opportunities in the summer because they can't afford to. And I think that's kind of what Spurs are doing as well. <clears throat> I think if you finish or when you finish in the top four, that'll also allow you to 
that'll create some calm and and Conte will not from Conte's side he'll probably come out all guns blazing immediately after the game and and basically pardon my friend shit on everyone because that's what he does because <laughs> for him finishing fourth is or second is, is an insult you know it, it's it's number one or nothing mm. uh, i remember you know when when he finished second with inter um first first time in 10 years into finishing the top two and he was you know he went out and pretty much almost resigned um <laughs> <laughs> and and was throwing everyone under the bus and saying this club has supported me in zero doing like this zero he was fuming foaming at the mouth with rage mm. um and this was during during it after the covid and he wasn't talking about the signings he was very clear about that he was saying no, this has nothing to do with the transfer window this is about the club backing me whatever the hell that meant mm. um and and he, uh, you know, and, and then Steven Zhang, the president, came and they kind of patched things up and Inter went to the final of the Europa League. I mean, this was the COVID season. And and he stayed and, and then the COVID happened and then they had that meeting and they were, where they basically told him that we're not going to sack you. If you resign, you resign. You're not getting any money. But this is the situation we're in. It's a crisis. It's, it's, there's no money. Um, we can't spend because of COVID and everything that's happened. This is the squad you've got. We'll bring in Kolarov. Um, Darmian and uh, Arturo Vidal on free transfers but that's about it that's it, you know, this is what it is and so he's like, fine, but then you can't demand that I have to win the Serie A um, and, and, and and they'd already signed Ashraf Hakimi which is also another counter signing, he really wanted him um, so, you know, he, he is a very complex character, I do think that even if you finish in the top four he's going to be upset, he's going to be angry um, he's going to throw hand grenades because that's what he does. Um, and if you take, if Levy takes it the right way, if Paratici takes it the right way, they can actually cement their bond and they can go strengthened from it. Mm. And if they learn to not, if they learn to not take it personally and create a shitstorm, um, then then they sit down, have a meeting, discuss the transfer plans. And then quickly, because that's what Conte wants. He wants his signings all there on first day of preseason training. Um, that's imperative to him. The success of a Conte season is laid in those in those weeks at preseason. Make mm -hmm. no mistake about it, because that's when he grills these guys and and shows them exactly how he wants them to play. He lays the groundwork for everything in those weeks. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something that Paratici will need to sort out. Because Conte will be fuming if he does, you know, if if he if he starts the season and there are no wing backs or central defenders signed. Yeah, I I find that so one of the big shifts which you mentioned, Nima, um, in Spurs communication with the fans. We, for as long as I can remember, have never ever had uh, the kind of uh, online content that we've had with Paratici talking about the strategy and what we're trying to do. And that's never existed before. It's mm. just been like the club acts, there's nothing. And then the fans fight over whether <laughs> what the club did was good or bad. Um, mm. And in terms of the hand grenades that Conte throws, we had Adam Digby on the, on the pod at the start of the week. And he was talking about the Conte uh, in Italy versus the Conte in England are two almost different characters where in, in England he seems to be, I'm, I mean in front of the press, 
or Adam meant in front of the press, he's, he's uh, more charitable, he's more open. And then you see in Italy, he's more direct. He, he speaks what he actually thinks. Um, obviously at times at Chelsea, he, he did, you know, he was certainly more direct, but I'm sort of I interested. Think it's, in I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's got anything to do with that, to be honest. Yeah, I think sure. it's more got to do with the fact that, I think it's more got to do with the fact that Conte, it depends on his mood. Is he happy or not? Yeah. And in, at Chelsea, he wasn't happy the second season. No. Um, and so you saw that Conte that, you know, when he's not happy, that's how he is. At Inter, you know, a club that is notoriously disorganized and just like Spurs, you know, yeah. <laughs> Giovanni Trapattoni famously said, I mean, after training, you know, being in charge of Juve and winning literally everything in the 80s with Juve, with Boniek and Platini, he went to Inter and said, those years at Inter compared to Juve was like entering into a centrifuge of pressure. Mm. Um and and Inter is a difficult club to manage. It's a difficult structure. It's it's for what for myriads of reasons. It's it's much more intense. And time goes, you know, time is a relative aspect. And I always joke that inter years are like dog years. One human <laughs> year is 14 dog years or seven dog years. And the same thing applies for Inter. You know, it's 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 just a different kind of <laughs> dynamic at the club. And he was under a lot of pressure at Inter. Some of it he created himself. Some of it because of Italy's the way it is. Um, and you have a hegemony of clubs, uh, which the media treats differently. Um, and so he he realized, and I think he grew a lot at Inter. Whilst he was, when he was unhappy, he just didn't do press conferences instead. Instead, he learned that throwing hand grenades is not always the smart thing to do. And so the last year before he resigned, when creating this machine that won the league, um, he um, he didn't say anything publicly. He was just quiet and said, we're here to work. We're not here to do anything. Mm. I'm not asking for any players. I know they're not going to come. Nothing's going to happen. We, we have the players we have until the end of the season, and we have to work. The only thing we have to do now is to focus on working. That's what he kept hammering home. Um, and then when the league was won, he was relaxed and happy and you could see that he wanted to stay he was proud of what he'd done and he should be proud of what he did because in my lifetime um internet aren't really known for playing beautiful football and his football from february 2021 to june may 2021 that was the best football i think i've seen him to play in my lifetime to be honest it was they just no one could get near them they were so solid defensively, despite having a goalkeeper that was so way past his best, had the seventh best shot stopping percentage in the Serie A in Andanovic. But it didn't matter because he developed, you know, he got Bastoni to really explode. Um, he had Barella become this, this never-ending machine, and Brozovic and Eriksson and Perisic, who weren't, you know, who weren't, you know, he got them to play and adapt to roles that they really didn't. They, they'd never played him before. And at that stage of their careers, these weren't young guys. These were established world stars. And he got them to adapt and play in a new role and got the best out of them. And that team was just unplayable. Um, and he wanted to, he, what he did, what he wanted to do was to continue on that road. And the club had to change because of the wage structure and the money spent and they had to rebuild. And he felt that he was too emotionally invested in that project and felt that the best thing to do was to leave. 
and 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 that's fair enough. So there was no really, you know, he didn't really leave Inter on bad terms. I know some Inter fans feel that way. I, I, I don't think so. I think he was very honest. I think in life, when you're not, when you feel that something's not right for you, that you've given it your all and it's not working, I think regardless of what, 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 what it is, I think maybe sometimes a goodbye is the best thing to do rather than staying on and it becoming toxic. And I think that's what Conte did. Um, and, and although Inter fans and myself included were disappointed to see him go, um, it still, I think, was the right decision for all parties. Um, I think, yes, he is somewhat more positive and happy because he doesn't have any relationships with those people in the press and, you know, when he came to Chelsea. Whilst in Italy, having played for 20 years at the highest level, having been a coach, he knew who was his friend, who was his enemy. Mm. Uh, like, that, you know, that, of course, because he, he had a previous relationship with these guys. But I don't think it's more to do with him being two different people. I think it's more to do with the fact that, you know, he didn't have relationships with these people in England. And also he was happier, barring that second uh, season at Chelsea. He was happy at Chelsea. He came there. They, he told them, you know, he wanted, they, they gave him Kante and Marcos Alonso. And they didn't give him much more than that. Um, and he won the league in, in mm. record-breaking fashion. And then the second season... You know, he made a few mistakes. The Diego Costa thing was just ridiculous. There was no need for that mm. um, whatsoever. You could have handled that much more differently. And I think he knows that. Um, and so the whole thing deteriorated. And, and then obviously the whole war with Marina Granovskaya, and, which was only ever going to end in one way. But people forget that he still won a FA Cup that second year, didn't he? Yeah, he did. So, yeah. so you know, he is a serial winner. Um, and I do think that for him... I think he looks at it like this. If he can win something with Spurs, that'll be... I mean, if he were to win the Premier League with Spurs, that would be the biggest achievement in his career. And he knows it. That would be, like, unbelievable. Well, that almost puts you down as the greatest manager of all time. Well, something like... No, but seriously, I mean, if you were to, to win at a club that is deemed impossible to win at, then, you know, that is outstanding. And he's not doing it with... uh with endless purse of cash, endless sums of cash. He's doing it with a with an owner who's actually rather responsible with the club's finances. You know, it's about finding the right players for the right roles and and growing the team that way. And and if he and he understands that he relishes those challenges. He loves those challenges. That's what he lives for. Hard work and doing the impossible. And he learned that, you know, at Inter, he came to Inter and won the league in 11 years and ended the cycle that he started at Juve. He likes those kinds of things. Um, so for me, it's more of an issue of him being like that as a person um, that he likes, that he, when he's happy, he shows it. And when he's unhappy, he shows it. I guess I had another question on this in relating to this contrast between sort of, I guess, the Premier League and Serie A. And I think in past years, there's been, I guess, the idea, you know, the typical idea of the Premier League is, you know, just unskillful brutes running around <coughs> doing all that. And then Serie A being slow, boring, no one does anything interesting. Yeah. But it kind of feels like in the last few years, like I haven't watched a whole lot of Serie A, but it feels like, I don't know if the leagues are converging a little bit more, but um, it's just very interesting that like not many managers have, I guess, won Serie A, come over, won the Premier League, gone back to Serie A on that, and now coming over to the Premier League and getting sort of more positive results. So is that a sign of Conte just being that good at what he does? Or is it a sign that the Premier League and the Serie A are becoming more similar? So a similar approach is possibly going to work in both. 
I think it's all of the above. I think Conte is that good. And I think also that modern football, the lines between these classic Serie A is tactical, Premier League is brutes, Spanish football is all about joy and passing. Of course, there are there are those things still there. There are elements of that still there. But I think what we're seeing at top level football is that it's kind of it's kind of merging into one, isn't it? Um, because of the fact that it's so globalized and you've players and coaches from all over the world and you know coming to all kinds of countries and and bringing with them there you know so so i think we're getting a complete mix but of course you still have that element there you know um and 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 i and i think that's nice because i don't you know it's it's all leagues have their own you know niches and and their own history and that's what makes them beautiful but i think at the top level the top four in all team in all leagues they do i i think that's that's really spot on analysis i think they're kind of more becoming closer to each other from coming from different angles, of course, but they're becoming closer together in terms of how they play. I think this, I mean, if we're talking tactical, the Premier League this season, the top four, that's that's been rather cagey tactical affairs this season when we've seen them, when we've seen the teams play. Mm. Um, whilst the Serie A, it's been goal fests. Mm. Um, so, so it's, you know, you can, you can argue that both ways. Um, to be honest, but so I mean, it's I, I think they're all kind of merging or getting not merging but coming closer to one another. Yes, and yes, Conte is that good um, because he, when it comes to prepare, I mean, when he has one game a week to prepare, that's the biggest weakness I think in his career yet that he needs to sort out, um, and that is that because he's so obsessive and so meticulous in his preparations. When, when there's only one game a week to play, he's the best coach in the world. But when there's three games a week, when there's a midweek fixture in Europe, he hasn't succeeded because it's impossible to prepare for every game at that level. You need to find the balance. Um, and and he's, he's kind of, he's going in that direction, but he's yet to do that. Um, I think finishing in the top four uh, would allow him to focus on the Premier League next season because I think that's what he wants to do. I think for him, winning the Premier League title with Spurs is the most important thing. I think everything else is secondary to that. So it wouldn't surprise me if we ended up in a situation where Spurs came back to the Champions League and were knocked down in the group stages, but did really, really well in the Premier League instead. Mm. If that makes sense. Like yeah, that, that is yeah. how, you know, he's, he's a step-by-step coach. Mm. Um, he knows that nothing breeds success more than more success. Nothing brings hunger of titles more than winning titles. Um, and, and I think that's what he wants to do. He wants to start a cycle, a winning cycle. And when you start a winning cycle, you have to start domestically and then, you know, go outside for him. You know, I know that Spurs fans are proud and they should be playing in the champions league is not something that champions league final is not something that happens to everyone, but for him, there's nothing to be proud of going to the Champions League final and losing. Mm. Like for him, it's just, what are you proud of? How can you be proud of losing? Like that's the mentality he has. Mm. Um, and, and he will beat it out of them. And those who can't adapt will be thrown out. <laughs> so just, <laughs> that's just how he is. Um, and, and he will, you know, he will drive you crazy. He'll make signings that will make, have you scratching your head. Um I mean, like I was when he demanded Ale- Alexander Kolarov and Arturo Vidal and Matteo Mateo Dar- Darmian and Ashley Young for crying out loud. <laughs> but at that point in his career, but look at the results. He won he won his league title with them in record-breaking fashion. 
Mm. Mm. Well, I mean, we've kind of had, not that it's a signing, but uh, just in terms of, of Stephen Bergvine, um, we've seen him play uh, as a, what, as a wing back under Mourinho and then sort of disappear from the team. And then Conte comes in and within two weeks he's saying Stephen Bergvine is a striker and he will uh, serve a good role there. And it sort of got skipped by the Premier League media until the Leicester game where he scores two. Yeah, the Leicester game. Yeah, and then all of a sudden it's like, Conte's a genius and, of course, this was going to happen and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, in terms of the the um, almost like the coming together of the style of the leagues, I I find it fascinating that, like like you said, Nima, that a lot of the um, top-end battles in the Premier League end up being these sort of cagey affairs Mm. despite the fact that the promotion of those games a lot of the time sets them up as these like six, five goal fests. And then we end up yeah. with this tactical battle. Um, and then you're saying, you know, in Syria, which I don't know as well, that, that, that there is sort of, sort of more uh, end to end. Uh, well, it's to become no that. I mean, yeah. if you look at the coaches who coach the top four teams, Gasperini fourth Atalanta, a very attacking coach. Mm. Milan and Stefano Pioli, all about progressive attacking football. Luciano Spalletti for Napoli, same thing there. Simone Inzaghi at Inter, same thing there. Mm. So, you know, th there is there is a change for sure at the top of the table. Uh, the lower end or mid-table teams are still a little bit more about balance and safety and all that. But I think that's, you could argue that about most, you know, mid-relegation mid candidates that, that don't have the high quality players that the top do, that they want to, you know, safeguard a little bit. Mm, I found uh, this year writing my thesis that I'd be up at all hours and I would watch Serie A and having uh, just any game that was on, I'd watch it. And it was the first, being someone that follows the Premier League, you know, previously exclusively, uh, it was the first time I'd watched another league apart from the English league and been like, oh, wow, this is, this is really yeah. something, right? Like this is mm. fantastic. Um, you know, compared to the the German league, which was the only league at the start of the first COVID lockdown, where I was like, this looks like me in under nines following the ball around. Yeah, it's <laughs> very tactically naive, yeah. uh, the, the, the Bundesliga. <laughs> yeah, uh, And then you've got Bayern Munich who just bully everyone into mm. the ground um, yeah. with with Robert, Lewa, Robert Lewandowski, who just, he's just insane. <laughs> yeah. He just doesn't know how to miss a chance, does he? I mean, no. it's just crazy. But um, no, I, I agree. I think, you know, the Serie A is, is, in my opinion, the most entertaining league in the world. Mm. And I don't mean that just because of the football, but just everything around it, the, the chaos and just all the characters in Italian football and football presidents. Are, are, they're just like, it, it feels sometimes like you're watching a cartoon almost. Like, it's, yeah. it's like, is, is this real? Is this actually happening? Because you've got, you've got a very old guard who lived in the 1970s and 80s who run the league. In 2021, yeah. and the in inevitable clashes that that creates is just outstandingly funny. Mm. Um, and, and and at some level, they're incredibly good and they're leading, I'd say, in the world. But then you have these other situations where it's like you're not even in this century with how outdated your <laughs> mindset is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's and it's astounding. And that that's Italy. It's it's these polar opposites that try to find balance with each other. That's Italy as a whole and it is fascinating and it's frustrating and entertaining and you know if, if you learn to find a balance between that then you know if you you can see the beauty in that 
mm. for sure. I mean, for example, the the, the, the Italians, how they their ability, their fantastic ability to find young talent all over the world, the 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 art, the craftsmanship that is the Italian direttore sportivo, the sporting director. It, nowhere in the world does that exist. It's it's not even. I can't say anyone that comes close to them in terms of creating and building, um, producing sporting directors of high quality that have a brilliant ability to build relationships globally and to spot unique talent globally um, and, 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 to, and to bring those players over and have them develop and flat, flat, you know, bloom out to world stars before selling them on. Um, that, that is just something that, that they are the best at. But then you also have, but then you have the other side where it's like, how do you not own, how are your city councils and municipalities preventing investors to build new stadiums when these stadiums were outdated 30, 40 years ago? Mm-hmm. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's, 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 it's just so polar opposites that are trying to work one an- with one another. And it's just like, you don't get it. Mm. You know, but it's Italy for you. That's Italy for you. As, as Sven Goran Eriksson said when we interviewed him about that, and so Italy never. We we asked him about when he was there at Roma, his first stint, and he was like, "Italy's Italy, it never changes." <laughs> you know, it's just, <laughs> and it's like it, that. That's how it is, and you got to you got to learn to just accept that. Yeah, I, I guess on that um, on that name, um, I've recently been on the lookout for a Serie A team. Uh, I know mm-hmm. that Barney's uh, gotten into Inter in sort of the last couple Ooh. of seasons. Yep, nice, um, one, nice one. I used to go for Inter because my mom's Italian, so there's some Ooh. like loose Italian connections there. So when I was younger, when we're talking about like OG Ronaldo, when we're talking about like Hernan mm. Crespo, like those sort of players, like Rakoba, um, I was like into Inter then, but I haven't really been into them for a little while. Um, so. I think like, and listening to you talk today, it's made me <laughs> want to watch more Serie A. So I oh. guess being a sort of Spurs fan and looking for a team to follow in Italy, um, objectively speaking, is like Inter a good choice or are there sort of, you know, other teams worth considering that basically, basically anyone that isn't owned by a sovereign state is in the running? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you're tired of being of Spurs, you know, mentally exhausting you, I would absolutely not choose Inter or Roma. That's just, <laughs> you're in the wrong business, mate. Like if you're looking for serenity and calm, then then Inter and Roma is not what you should be choosing. Um, uh, if you're looking for, 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 for just, you know, people who get on, you know, an organized club, you know, that has, that gets on with it and and okay has a dodgy past but at the end of that is very organized that's Juventus they win and and you know it's it is what it is and you know people they usually they make their you know barring these past few years it's always been very you know every, every they've got their ducks in a row always um then you have Napoli with though with their story which is the incredible fan base they have and the passion of that city and and the fact that there's only one club in that city and the whole city's behind it and you know the whole dynamic of the poor south and the you know rich north and 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 how they are the only ones who've succeeded and and all, all of that i mean there's so much to look at and or if you even go further down south to 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 sicily and 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 catania and and palermo i mean there's so much you know it depends on what your fancy is um but 
um, there is there is so much inter- in so much interesting things. I mean, Torino, for example, in Turin, this classic Serie A side who were the dominant force, and and obviously the 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 infamous plane crash, Superga crash, which wiped out half the Italian national team, and the, which were who were all Torino players, um, and and also you know they they have a really exciting project now with. Ivan Juric, the coach, who I think is building a very interesting career um, with extremely talented young players, including one or two who I think you might be linked with in the summer in the central defender, Bremer, who I think is the best central defender in the Serie A this season. And if you were to sign him, you'd have the two, you'd have Romero and Bremer, who've been the two best defenders in the Serie A for the last two seasons. Um, I'm, I'm looking. I'm, I'm really watching, out, waiting for to see if Spurs go after him. And he's, he's, he would come at an affordable price, quote unquote. He's 24 years old, Brazilian international. Um, 30, 35 million euros is, is very doable. Um, so you know, or, or Samuel Ricci, the who, who's a deep lying young midfield playmaker, who's outstanding for Empoli. Uh, who's in, who was who were who were newcomers in the Serie A and played some really damn good football and. Uh, and now he's moved to to Torino in this window. I mean, there's so many interesting subplots, and uh, but yeah, no, I, it is it is an entertaining league. And Roma this year, the, la, the the Rome clubs this year are probably the most entertaining to watch, just generally, not just the football, but everything surrounding them. You've got Maurizio Sarri playing his system there, and Lazio, and they are you know they are very inconsistent. They can they score five, but they can concede six. Uh, you've got Mourinho in Roma, which is hilarious in every way um for, for, for everything that goes on there um then you have uh you know milan who i think has have one of the most exciting pros- projects in in europe with a very young solid squad um and are you know continue to get into the champions league and play some interesting football and you've got inter with simon inzaghi who inherited a squad that was you know they took hakimi ericsson for for medical reasons and lukaku away from him and they replaced them with players that on paper were far less superior or far, far, you know, far less good. And they've outscored and are performing better than, than, than the last season. So, and then play some very attacking football and entertaining football. I mean, for example, the Milan derby tomorrow, I wouldn't miss that for the world. Um, well, even though it's played at 50% capacity, that's going to be insane. So, yeah, I can definitely recommend the Serie A if, if, you, for, if, if anything for the entertainment. And drama. Well, it seems like maybe a good league to follow without even needing to go in and try and find a team and yeah. just try and follow the overall league. And like, cause even you so hearing <laughs> yeah. you talk about all that, it's like, if there's so many different storylines going on, oh, I think it's rather than committing it, to another Spurs situation, um, it might be. No, don't do that for your own mental health <laughs> sake. Don't do that. Like you, you've already got one dysfunctional relationship. Yeah. You don't need to add. <laughs> just have a nice, easy one where you can just you know watch yeah, the exactly. league highlights and then watch the sort of you know the major clashes top and games. top yeah. games and stuff like that. Like um, yeah, it just seems like a really fun league to to follow in the moment. And it's you know seems to be I don't know making a bit of a comeback in that sense because most yeah, people we're talking is. to are saying how entertaining Serie A is now. It is. It's incredibly entertaining. It's 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 never ending, um, and all the and and the no, it, it is it is entertaining. It's for sure by far the most entertaining. <laughs> There's never a dull moment. Like it's just it, it's it's funny. And and I think as and I and I noticed that the people who don't have 
favorite teams in the city. I just watch it. it, it it's like, whoa, what just happened? Mm. It's just mm. madness. And, and it's very entertaining and it's never boring. That's for sure. Yeah, that's, that sounds excellent to me. <laughs> I, I adopted Inter after I think Ericsson moved and I loved Ericsson so much at Tottenham. Yeah. And then obviously the first period that he was at Inter, he, you know, wasn't involved and then became more involved and then became, you know, sort of an integral part of that squad yeah. watching from afar. Um, but I feel like Dan and I have been speaking about, you know, what team that we should follow in Serie A and just from that and then the contact connection, I, I feel like uh, Inter is already like either I've imprinted or they've imprinted on me and now I can't get past. Like I'll, if I look at Serie A scores, I look at that one first, which is, as you said, for Dan's mental health, it's horrific for mine. If, <laughs> no, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like Inter and Spurs. Is just why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> I mean, I'm an Interista, and I don't know what, what the hell I'm doing. So, but yeah. both, but two of them, like, <laughs> no, I, 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 I do. I mean, I'm for me, it's been. I don't really have a favorite team in, in the Premier League, but mm. I do. I do follow. There are interesting clubs and, and clubs with storylines um, mm. that, that I'm fascinated by. I mean, now with Conte at Spurs, I re, I'm really, really interested in that, what's going on there. Um, I really think that, for example, what, what Arteta this season has done at Arsenal is very, very interesting. Mm. Um, West Ham's history is, and, and Liverpool as well is really, really interesting. The Chelsea project is also very interesting to watch. I mean, there's so many storylines to watch. Every league has its own kind of charm doesn't it so mm. so no I, I i but i mean it's not my place as an inter fan to talk you out of it I, i'm just <laughs> saying you know <laughs> i i i feel bad for you um <laughs> <laughs> well it's fascinating because if if the roles were reversed here i'd be going oh no no you tottenham no 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 maybe maybe, maybe <laughs> not maybe maybe a different team <laughs> yeah don't do this to yourself yeah, yeah then self-preservation tells don't do this to yourself <laughs> exactly yeah. Um, well, Neva, it's been like such a joy to have you on the pod. And, and as I predicted, uh, I would be hypnotized by everything you said. And I was. Oh. So <laughs> thank <laughs> you very you. much. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you. Um, it was a great pleasure to be on. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it's so I like, I could listen to like a, if you did an audio book of you just talking about Serie A <laughs> for like 50 hours, I would just put that on <laughs> and go to sleep to it and it would be wonderful <laughs> every night, I think. Um, so, yeah, like Marty said, thank you very much for coming on and we'd uh, love to have you back you, as guys. well, um, you know, in sure, the future once we get a bit more down the Conte path. And, um, yeah, either we'll be happier <laughs> <laughs> yeah. then or, um, or, you know, we'll be able to talk about how it's all gone wrong. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure you're going to be mentally exhausted because that's what Conte does. He, he sucks the energy. I mean, whether, whether you're happy or upset, you're just exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> that's the Conte experience. And, 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 and it's going to be interesting to see what, goes, what happens from now on. Um, I'm really fascinated. I'm really looking forward to see what, how he puts Kulusevsky and Bentancur on now, what, what happens. Um, and, and I think the summer is going to be very exciting as well. There's a lot of, I think this is going to be one of the craziest summers in football transfer history, to be honest, um, because there's so many big teams that are going to move. I mean, Real Madrid are pretty much signing Mbappe. Holland's future has to be resolved. Mm. They have to be, and, and then PSG have to replace losing Mbappe. Um, there's the Dybala situation at Juventus. Mm. Um, you know, there's so many teams and so many clubs going to move. I think, 
you know, are, who, you know, are City going to sign someone, you know, for their number nine role? And what, what's the future of Harry Kane and Romelu Lukaku? I mean, you know, there's so many interesting things going to happen. Barcelona have to start doing something as well. I mean, there's so much going on. There's so many interesting things that are going to happen. And I can't remember the last time so many big clubs were going into a window prepared to do so much and needing to do so much. So I think it's going to be non-stop from June to August. Uh, and there's no World Cup or European Championships being played in the summer, is it? So it's mm. just going to be one crazy summer. And then we have um, we have uh, we have the beginning of the leagues and then we have the World Cup as a nice little break. Yeah, yeah. it's great. And even just like you talking about it then, that made me think, um, yeah, like, you know, so often we like we get associated with the club and then we can get very emotionally invested in when it does well, when it does poorly. We can get upset when players don't sign that we want to sign and and all that. But when you do sort of like, you know, take a step back and see sort of the bigger picture of what's happening in terms of the whole league and like you said then, the continent and ex- like all these moves, they're going to set off a huge domino effect. Um, oh, yeah. Being a bit of a neutral in certain situations, I think it means you, you really can get excited about all those moves without worrying about how that's negatively going to affect your club in that sense. So. Mm. I think that's a nice positive of sort of being able to yeah. step back and just get excited about, you know, how the whole market is going to be functioning. Oh, yeah. I think there's so many clubs that are going to do something. Uh, Arsenal are probably going to go after Isak, uh, Alexander Isak, because they need that number nine. I think he suits them brilliantly. Um, and, and that's going to be important for them. That's a lot of money that they're spending there. I mean, it's a lot of clubs that are getting rid of players and rebuilding. Um, and and it's it's going to be really interesting to follow, and I'm I'm really excited to see who you guys get for get as a central defender. If you go after Stefan de Frey, or if you go after Gleison Bremer, uh, or if or if you go after both, um, who do you bring in midfield? Who do you bring as a wing back? Um, you know, all that stuff is really really exciting as well. Uh, so no, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. excellent. Um, and also, name just to finish up, uh, you uh, co-host the uh, Town Football Podcast. Yes, right? um, we have the Italian Football Podcast, uh, myself and John Solano and Carlo Garganese, the three of us who have run it. Uh, it's a bi-weekly podcast, minimum, and then we do a, like extra stuff as well every now and again, um, uh, where we, you know, Monday shows are about reviewing what's happened uh, in the week, on the weekend and the last week. And then the Thursday interview show is usually, uh, we try to bring on, you know, we've had current Serie A players like Gerard De Olofeo, we've had Giuseppe Rossi on, we've had from Roy Hodgson and Sengoran Eriksson on, we've had presidents like Joe Tacopino on, uh, former players, current players and stuff like that to kind of take it, you know, interview from the inside as well of Italian football, as well as journalists, top journalists uh, who cover the league in Italy. Um, and uh, yeah, it's you can find it on Patreon, uh, 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 patreon.com slash TIFP. Two ninety nine a month, and the first episode of every month is free. Excellent. Well, I'm sure you know after this, you've at least got two new subscribers. You definitely have oh. two new subscribers. <laughs> Absolutely. That's very kind of you guys. Thank you very much. Yeah. No, it was an absolute pleasure. Whatever you guys need, to just let me know, and I'll glad you know we'll sort something out. We, you, you're going to regret saying that. <laughs> <laughs> no way, I will not. I can guarantee you. You'll, t- you'll start taking the reins of a bit Spursy and we'll just be on as guests <laughs> intermittently. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was fantastic. Thank you so much, Nima. Um, and this was mine. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for listening. Uh, thank you, Dan. It, pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Nima. Thank you, me. Um, and uh, uh, have a lovely uh, day, night, morning, afternoon. Or uh, whatever is in between that. And Neymar, please just finish it off. Come on, you. No, 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 no. I can't do that. No, no, no. 
No, no, no. That, that, that would alienate like all my other friends. <laughs> all right, we can finish not, off. Not... <laughs> we can finish off with a Forza Inter then. <laughs> yes, we can. Forza Inter. Okay, beautiful. That we absolutely can't. <laughs> Where in Australia are you guys? We're in Melbourne. Oh, Melbourne. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Have you been to Australia before? No, unfortunately not. And 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 I would love to, but I'm too much of a coward. And I know this is like one of those things that <laughs> Australians hate to hear, but I'm afraid of every animal you have there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I, there's really no other way to put it. I'm scared of everything. So <laughs> I mm. think... <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. a beautiful place. It's an absolutely gorgeous <laughs> place. I know, but I am scared. I'm sorry. I admit it. I'm scared. Well, you could come just dressed in like one of those hazmat suits and then you'd be fine just walking around like nothing. Would be the thing. You're so close to New Zealand and they have less dangerous animals there than in Sweden, which is insane. Like, yeah. It's just a stone throw away. The worst thing that can happen there is that you get attacked by a sheep. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? it's like, exactly. <laughs> So oh, yeah. crazy. I know the feeling. I'm not really an outdoorsy sort of person myself, so I kind of stay away no, but from it's that. Beautiful. But, it's absolutely yeah. beautiful. I mean, the country's beautiful, but I'm just scared. It's just, I admit it. I'm <laughs> petrified. Like I was watching, and and it didn't make. And everyone says, "What's his name?" The poor guy who died, Steve Irwin. He mm. didn't make it better. He did yeah. not make that fear any less yeah. with this show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think know? even any of us watching it, we're just like, this guy is just ridiculous. Like, this is insanity. Mm. <laughs> this is. I love. I, no, but it's like, it's not the fact. That, I mean, I, he loves animals and he's a total like kind of guy. I get that because my mom's this kind of, you know, I was born in, in my mom's, I was born in Iran, raised in Sweden. And my mom used to, as a child, my poor grandmother, she was afraid to go into a room because my mom used to, like learned to hunt poisonous snakes and because she was interested in biology she used to dissect them and learn and shit like that and i'm not like that at all, you know I mean? <laughs> like, but he, but so I've, I'm, I'm 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 used to that kind of person who likes that kind of thing and steve Irwin, i just find him a fascinating guy mm. like and you know rest rest in peace and, and all that and i love this show but that is when I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I, I can't go someplace where I'm scared constantly. Yeah. I mean, this one time he went to this guy's house and a snake came up through the toilet. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that is just not happening for me. I, I was once in the top end doing a show and, um, we were at this like very remote little uh, community and we got there and they were like, be very careful. Just walk straight to your, straight to your little, it was oh on my like, God. yeah, decking. God. Just walk God. straight to your decking. And we're like, okay. And then we got there and they're like, there are three brown snakes, which are like one of the most poisonous snakes yeah. in the world underneath your uh, thing, a little like, it was like a um, cabin or something. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> so just make sure that you stay in the cabin and we'll come and get you when they're gone. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. It was mental. <laughs> it was mental. And then we, cause we had to do a, we had to do a show. So we were doing, it was like this touring kids show thing. So we did the show and as we're doing the show, <laughs> we just see, at the back, because it was they had there was they had no auditorium. It was just like in like a there was like a shade over the top of this. We just see this snake go past, and both of us, <laughs> me and the other actor on stage, are looking at each other, being like, and then <laughs> and then he points, and there's the biggest spider I've 
ever seen. Oh my in god! The middle that of too. The, yeah, oh. Of course, of yeah. course, of course, <laughs> <It was> of course. <laughs> horrendous. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's a nightmare, and it's like and it's like I'm 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 actually you know I'm, I hate and I don't. I hate when people kill and do you know what I mean? Like, mm. I think that, you know, we have to learn to, you know, you know, we're, we're intruding on their territory yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. So they're not doing anything wrong. It's just, I don't want to be on their territory. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. I mean? Yeah. Like, that's, that's my, that's where I am. Mm. Like <laughs> my thing is love and respect for our distance. <laughs> do you know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have that thought every time I go for a swim in the ocean here. God. I'm like, <laughs> This is, well, the yeah. thing that really put me over the edge was when he said like there was this like rock that was looked like a rock which was poisonous and kills you in ten minutes if you walk on it. And I was like, "Yeah, murderous rocks." <laughs> yeah. <I> mean, <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, nature doesn't want you to live here. Like, yeah, exactly. Someone's trying to tell you something. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awful. Like, that what is it? Uh, the is it the rock cobbler or rock something? Something yeah. like that, yeah. yeah. And I was like, "But, but, what do you mean, poisonous stones?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it's a stonefish. It's a stonefish. Stone yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like I was like, "What do you mean?" Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this oh. should just be the podcast. <laughs> yeah, just going no, through various animals. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, they are they are awesome, and I love like nature shows, and I am fascinated by it. It's, it's like I said when you were away. It's like I, I, I just think that you know we are intruding on their territory so i understand why they get defensive i understand why they get aggressive because we're intruding on their where they live mm, totally. so so i just think we shouldn't do that but where do we go nima where do we go if we go stay away <laughs> i don't know it's just i don't know i mean i don't know i, I don't know it's just I, I guess that we we find this balance i don't know somewhere we're we don't like just don't intrude on them and and, and the spiders <laughs> thing as well because i have severe arachnophobia like that is mm. an actual phobia i've got i'm scared of them yeah because they just look mean and, yeah like, yeah you know I mean? they're pretty gross. <laughs> they, they just look mean and i'm not afraid of snakes and it's just i'm weary of it mm. yeah but but spiders scare the shit out of me they really do <laughs> yeah eight legs hairy and venomous i mean <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah. I get that. I'm maybe a little bit with spiders, but I'm like that with moths. Moths, moths. Yeah, with moths. Yeah. I and yeah. I think it's because when they move, they are there. So yeah. the pattern of movement is so irregular, and it's like they're yeah. in kamikaze missions. I agree with you. And it's yeah. like they just will fly that. into your head, and like I, I feel like I must have had a bad experience with a moth when I was a kid or something because yeah, moths probably. I don't like. I'm like out of the room if there's a little moth. I remember when I went to uni in the UK with a with an Australian girl and I said all this and she's like, Oh, forget over yourself. You know how many million people of us have lived there and we all get on fine. Like, yeah. what do you think we do? What do you think we do? Like, do you think we all like go up and cuddle with a brown? Like, what do you think we do? We don't do that. Like, we just we just learn that it's part of nature and it's actually good for you. I'm like, yeah, you do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna stay from a distance and applaud your yeah. bravery. <laughs> I actually watched um it's on uh SBS here, which is like one of the government uh yeah. sources or television programs. Um uh what was it called? A cure for fear. Um and it had uh Dr. Kint on it who is it's like exposure therapy, but then they get uh, propanolol after they've been exposed Ooh. to whatever it is, um, mm. 
uh, moths or butterflies. There's a butterf- butterflies or snakes or whatever. And the results are, it's like scary because 24 really? hours later, because their memory gets affected by whatever effect the propanolol has mm-hmm. and they can sort of like a- approach the, whatever the phobia is. But okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. But it's like so, <laughs> so unnatural that the reaction the next yeah. day is almost like that's my phobia and it's. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Well, that's right, Name. If you come, to, like, if you come to Australia, we'll just give you whatever that is for yeah. the whole trip, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and then you'll be fine. Then you'll be fine. No, I'll wear like a space, but that's the thing; it's really hot as well, so mm. you can't really wear protective gear. Like yeah. you're screwed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. You've been listening to a bit spursy. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Email us at hello at abitspursy.com and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms.